Ladies and gentlemen, bots and cons, welcome to Tech Talk, the officially unofficial Transformers TCG podcast. I am joined, as always, well, the bot man cometh, Scott of Vector Sigma. How you doing, Scott? Good. Little, uh, little, little snow we had to contend with, but otherwise I'm good. Yeah, the, uh... The smattering of snow that was allegedly coming turned into not quite snow apocalypse, but definitely more of, of that white stuff than I wanted to say. Yeah. Yeah, it made it a little bit challenging to get home, but we're all here and we are ready to snuggle in, get warm with uh, Transformers. So we're going to start off as always. If you're watching the stream now, I'm trying to put a little bit of the agenda, I guess, up on the board. For everybody to see so we're going to start out with the news like always so first things first uh our neighbors to the north in canada will be getting the transformers tcg in the very near future which is great news because i know there's a lot of people i've seen it on twitter i've seen it on some of the facebook groups in a couple areas one of the major podcasts for transformers that i listen to uh wtf at tfw the main host is from Canada, so I understandably he's been frustrated, I guess, <laughs> because he literally can't buy the product without importing it. So it's good to see the game is showing up in other places. Yeah, we're going to touch about on it uh, eventually. I guess it's agenda item E. Um, but Drew had mentioned on the other podcast that uh, he is obviously in contact with the Watsi reps from all over the world and it sounded like it was this is just the first country of many that will be getting it which is great news i mean there are there are definitely transformers fans across the globe and it it shouldn't be a huge production for them to acquire products so it's great that it's showing up in other places and it also bodes well that they are interested in pushing it to other markets as well yeah so moving from there the other hot news item which is at the time of this recording tomorrow, is Metroplex's official release. So did you happen to get Metroplex early, Scott? No, I didn't even order one yet. I got to find someplace locally because right now these are my Metro... see if I can get these on camera. These are my Metroplex, <laughs> or my Metroplex deck at the moment. It's just... <laughs> nice. Yeah, exactly. You got to have the, the sweet drawings for the proxies. Uh, I have been trying them out a little bit, and by a little bit, I mean literally just trying to do the math on it, which thankfully uh, it was Enrico on the Facebook group did all the heavy lifting, but it's now trying to figure out whether I want, do I want one extra copy of flamethrowers and then mess with how many white pips I have in the deck and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it'll come down to the actual playing uh, after a time, but it seems like the, I've seen a couple versions that have like a few more cards here and there, but uh, it shouldn't be much different one way or the other. Yeah, I think that most of the lists are going to congeal to a certain level, just because that's the way the math works out, given the card pool we have. As new waves come out, which we'll get to that in a moment, uh, but as we get new cards, as we get new everything, those decisions will actually become decisions, I think, or more... or more difficult decisions simply because then the cards aren't just a pit. The cards may actually yeah. do something. Yep. Whereas right now, a lot of it's just, okay, well, I need to hit this many to make sure that I get the effect that often. So Right. Yep. 
So moving from there, one idea, this is just an idea. So everybody out there listening, holiday seasons, I know a lot of people do this anyway, uh, but I had pitched this at the event that we're going to talk about in a little while, but it would be great to see what feels like an obvious tie-in. So if anybody's not familiar, Toys for Tots is a charity drive that tries to get toys to donate to kids in need around Christmas time. Well, Transformers is a toy brand. Uh, if anybody out there is interested in hosting tournaments, just free ideas out here. Workout, however, would work with donations, but basically you buy in by buying toys that end up going to the donation box. It feels like it's kind of an easy connection there. Uh, like I said, I pitched it at the idea, or pitched the idea at the event we were at. It sounded like some of the places were amicable to it. I've thrown it around to a couple of the stores. I hope people can get this out there because it's always good to, you know, whenever you can, do stuff for charity if possible. Yeah, I think the um, official Transformers, not the Transformers card game uh, Facebook page like that Hasbro runs, I think they actually mentioned that or the Twitter page, I think they actually mentioned that uh, a tie-in with Toys for Tots every year that they actually do. Right. So it's it's obvious it's a perfect uh, match. Oh yeah, hopefully people will do stuff because, like we said, it's it's always good to try and do something for charity. This time of year always encourages people anyway. But if you have the means, by all means, try and donate. Yep. So moving from there, we did have another interview with. Uh, drew from the Transformers team, this time with Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Now, I'm not familiar with their show prior to this. Uh, did you know who they are or what their usual SOP is, Scott? No, and to be honest with you, like I tried to find them through the Apple Store because when I happened to be driving home from class listening to it um, last night, it was just going to be easier for me to listen through that than it was through the YouTube link. Right. And whatever they... I guess they just stopped posting to that or something like that because they yeah. there was nothing for them there. So I don't even know. I don't really even know what the deal was there. Okay, but you did get a chance. Like, did you actually get through the interview? Uh, like I, I, I think I missed like four minutes at the end. I don't think there was anything left at the end. Yeah, that was really. Uh, did you listen to it today or no? I didn't get the chance to. Although there was a, a very very, I don't even want to call it cliff notes because it was it was literally like three lines on the Facebook group talking about how there are some teasers for future sets. Uh, it was the same stuff we had heard before, mm -hmm. um, basically, that like Metroplex sets up rules for um, Soundwave, Blaster, and the cassettes. Right. Um, there was discussion of other Titans again. Um, there was discussion around... So like, I guess he asked the hosts like which Transformers they thought were they wanted the most that were missing, and they had mentioned... like. Ultra Magnus, um, Rodimus Prime, and Hot Rod. Oh, so that's where the and, movie discussion came in. Yeah, I mean, because they were like, oh, well, then, you know, there was Cup and there was, um, you know, RC. And I guess, I and, and believe me, I'm not, I'm not as well versed even like, as you are or anything like that with mm. the some of the, I guess you would call it comics or extended universe, like whatever has happened past the TV show. Right, right. Um, and movies and stuff. But I guess the main point there was that uh, Druid said they're mostly pulling from the Generations line. So it's not Gen Gen 1 per se. It's whatever the toys that were mostly made in, in whatever the Generations line is. So I don't really know how big that toy line is. It's um, It's been going on since about... 
2008 question mark so is that just like everything that comes out now is considered it's, that or something essentially so it's there it, it used to be much wider so they would occasionally have beast wars characters or you know one of the first ones that i picked up was a cyclonus and stuff but even their modern stuff technically power of the primes and those things are under generations i believe yeah, I mean, uh, Optimus Primal was in Power of the Primes, so I guess that can't right. be the Beast Wars. But as opposed to their uh, R.I.D. lines or whatever ties to the most recent kids' cartoon, that is independent. And obviously the, the live-action movies are independent. So Generations yeah, he, is kind of a conglomeration of all the others. So so one thing I guess he kind of did then off offhand mention was that, like, the... Uh, like, they weren't going to touch the movies because that causes... I don't know if I want to say issues, but like there's extra things taken into consideration there. I'm sure there's a lot of legal things along those yeah. lines. Yeah. Um, and that there was no Beast Wars at all in the next, in Wave 2. Hmm. Um, but he just said Wave 2. Because um, like the hosts, I guess, are probably around our ages. So like they kind of poo pooed like Beast Wars, like I tend to. Uh, um, and other people around our age <laughs> tend to, but, but yeah, even yeah. Drew mentioned, like you know, for for some for for you know, and I guess they're around the same age as me as well. Like you know, for a whole generation of people, that is Transformers to them. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and he mentioned something about season two being like a, a, a tie into to Gen one and things like that. So, um, but he did say there was no Beast Wars, but it wasn't. It didn't mean that it was like off the table, right? Um, I guess they just weren't well represented in that generation's line, but he did say mm. that like they were, there was no, they weren't holding back on like, uh, obviously on a more obscure characters. Um, you know they have the art from the from the they said the vault, but I mean I know it's from the mobile games, right? Um, so we've already seen most of the art that exists. Um, but although he did mention again about commissioning 160 new art pieces for a set that was for the summer of 2019, he did not say like what wave that was. I just imagine it's like wave four, mm. given early schedule. Um, it could be wave three if they're delaying it a little bit. Right. Um, they also had a conversation about um, other like standalone Titan sets, and you know he had said. You know, obviously, Trypticon is would be not next, but like would be the obvious way to go from there. But but he almost mentioned like he wanted to get feedback on how Metroplex was before they decided to continue down that route. So I'm not saying that. So he didn't say that it wasn't like I mean I'm sure it's not hard to play test it and things like that. So I'm sure like the ideas are there. It's just that oh yeah, they were holding off on like saying yeah every wave is going to be followed by a Titan or something like that. I think so that. I don't know if it's because it, the popularity of the game caught them off guard, but I could certainly see some trepidation of we're going into what amounts to an untested market with targeting this particular franchise and with the particular customer base. So I could definitely see them saying, okay, well, we'll definitely do Metroplex. Let's wait a year to maybe push the next one. Like they probably have it ready to go and then they're just not going to release it. Is that what it sounded like? No, I, I, I think they just said they wanted to know what the feedback was. Okay. I think, and I, and this actually, there was actually one point that that was kind of interesting. Like, so I guess 
whoever became the CEO of Watsy like two years ago, I, I forget the guy's name. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, like from a corporate standpoint, it basically said, "Look, you know, we have our flagship products of Magic: The Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons, and he wanted them to push the envelope with other um, games." And, you know, this is one of the ones that they quote were like pushing the envelope with. And so um, with it being a success, I think, you know, it's, it's just continuing to from a corporate decision to to see where things land. And it's interesting because I actually watched a video to totally unrelated to the game or anything like that, but was basically talking about like how people nowadays feel more invested through like the internet and things like that into the, the IPs that they're involved in. It was a something around star Wars and Disney and what, why the backlash exists and things like that. But basically like that people now have more direct control over um, like how the products and mediums that the IPs that they love. Oh, I could definitely uh, see that get released too. So it, it doesn't surprise me. I think they called them some term like prosumers, like producers and consumers at the same time. So, well, it, I know it's like a business term, but right, it was well, interesting. <laughs> given given the current, like just the way the world is, because of the internet, because of all these other communication avenues, you can definitely get much more granular feedback on that end of the spectrum, as opposed to maybe even a few years ago. It's simply it sold or it didn't sell. Now, whether you're getting useful feedback is another story because we all know how the internet goes. But uh, it, it definitely, yeah. you definitely get more information. Now the challenge is, okay, are you drowning in information, I guess? Because uh, you can certainly now, it's not just voting with your wallet. I mean, there's obviously that as well, but you could... <laughs> I know my dad used to, well, I'm going to write a letter and he would sit right. down and write a letter. But now it's, okay, well, I could tweet at them. I could right. send them an email. I could do this. I could pop on their Facebook. I could do that. You know, and the, there are a lot of considerations that go behind that. But, yeah, I could definitely see where they would want to s- test the waters, I guess, on this front. Yeah, so, I mean, the fact that most of us assumed, like, that this product would be, like, a, a quote, like, raid product. And it wound up just being essentially like, I don't know, an, uh, like a Mini another bot that got yeah. released, you know, like with three other little bots that got released and really like just a mini set per se. I mean, there yep. wasn't a whole lot of battle cards or anything like that. So like, you know, it, it seems easier to put out this type of product when you're not creating like a, a raid type situation. Or anything. Oh, yeah. And I, I think there is a desire <laughs> for that. I definitely saw a few people that... I don't want to say they were disappointed because I don't think that was actually the reaction, but it was kind of a, oh man, well, it would have been cool if we also had this other play experience. But I can definitely appreciate that they did consolidate the play experiences. I think fracturing it potentially this early in the game's lifespan could be seen as a negative. Uh, I'm hoping they do more, I guess, is the long and short of it. I would love to see Trypticon, whether it's in this format. I... I can't imagine they could ever... They have to do it in this format. They can't put them in a normal set. Yeah. So. He also mentioned um, your favorite old WoW format that they used to test 
limited with a two pack. You'd, you'd be very excited by that. By that conversation, <laughs> my wife, if, if, <laughs> wife, if you are in the chat, you can get excited. Uh, my wife loves that format. I again, I Scott and I talked about this offline. For anybody out there not familiar, two pack is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. You get two packs, I get two packs. You open them up, you shuffle them together, you play a game. Now for this game, it, it kind of works better given the, the reshuffling mechanic. Uh, maybe it would be super clunky because if you open two five stars and I open Nemesis something else, you're probably going to have a bad day. Uh, yeah, he mentioned the rules that they were using was basically like the difference in stars is how much damage you have to put on your characters to start the game. So if I have 25 and you have 10, I have to put 15 damage spread across my two characters. I mean, that certainly equalizes things. I think it's it's not something, you know, if they, if Hascon becomes a thing, or Transformers yeah. TCG, or they have a pro tour and this is a random side event, I think it would be fun to, you know, kill an hour or two playing it. Uh, I can't imagine I'm going to be super excited about doing it all the time, but once in a blue moon. Yeah, and then he mentioned... Um, Essentially, that they were basically testing, uh, like, that there was more to come. I mean, he didn't quite say, like, there was, like, I mean, he said there was, they started with the leak um, suggestions, yeah. and there's other formats to come. So I, I think that's a positive for, like, saying that there's organized play in the work. Um, well, if they're going to do, but presumably that implies a draft format of some nature, which is, to me, an inherently more competitive-oriented play experience. And if that's the way they're going with it, yeah, the, the next leap is to say, okay, well, they're going to figure out some sort of organized play without putting words in their mouth. Yeah, the only other... And the, the last interesting thing that was mentioned was about, like, um, the way that they play-tested the... Like, they actually, like, the way they marked, like, did test marketing they had like you know six-year-olds come in and they were obviously behind the the, the two-sided glass that you know marketers will bring people in and like right they these kids were able to get it and were able to like make the the moves and things like that um That's but awesome. then they were at the same time were also to give it to the magic pros that work on magic and they were able to see the deeper strategy through the deck building so he basically said that they built the game on two axes um, there's the you can make a game complicated through the rules, or you can make the game complicated through the card interactions and the deck building. Right. And they obviously decided, which we said before, like it, it was almost verbatim, like a conversation we had early on about, right. like, you know, how the game itself is easy, but the the strategy comes in later. Um, right. it was almost verbatim, like what he said was the point. So it's good that we've obviously identified that as. Right, you know, the the way to the game was designed, so. and that's good to hear as well. I, I, as you said, we've already discussed it, so we won't go too far into it. But it, it's something that I can appreciate uh, as somebody who likes to pretend that I know what I'm doing when it comes to designing games. I, uh, I always have leaned towards that end of you want the game to be minutes to learn, lifetime to master. For a lot of reasons, there's a reason that's a cliche. So it, yeah. it, I'm glad that they took that route with this game. It could have very easily turned out way worse uh, if they went in the other direction. Yeah, having played TCGs for twenty over twenty five years, it's hard to like. Um, it's hard to imagine like how 
easy or difficult a game is to pick up because I obviously started with Magic, which I think is probably people would probably consider more complicated than other games nowadays. So, yeah, that's um, for sure. It, like it's it's hard for me to to even think that there would be things that were easier or harder than that. So yeah, you definitely have to unlearn some things at a certain point uh, yeah. to get in that mindset again. But it, that's definitely good to hear. Uh, was there anything else that stood out to you when you were listening to that? Over and for anybody who hasn't listened to it, it's Dungeon Crawlers Radio is tweeted out, and I'm pretty sure it's in the Facebook groups uh, by the official Transformers account. So you can definitely check that out. Um, no, I mean, he was obviously a true fan of, like, the entire IP, like, um, I mean, he mentioned still having, like, his Devastator from the kid and, like, nice. saving up money to buy a grapple and, like, this stuff when he was a kid and stuff. So, like, he's clearly a fan. He knew, like, the extended lore again, like, mentioned the Power of the Prime stuff, mentioned, like, you know, how they're trying to basically, like I said, the whole Generations thing, and they're really trying to push, like, I guess what he said is basically, like, the toy line, but I guess he even said, like, there, there is no Ultra Magnus in Generations and things like that. Like, right. I don't know what this, so, like, there are certain characters that will show up that may not have been part of that, but that's the basis for what they're doing. I mean, I'm holding an Ultra Magnus right now that I'm pretty sure came from Combiner Wars? Question mark? I don't remember where I got him from. Uh, okay. It was a gift, but it was from a couple years ago, so maybe Combiner Wars? Maybe it was just before that? I don't know. It, it, it's interesting that he had said that, but I mean, I'll I'll take their word on it. So, <laughs> yeah, the only thing he did mention was there was an, another Optimus Prime in set in set whatever that set from the summer was okay. with the commissioned art. Um, and that basically, you know, they purposely have multiple copies of characters at different rarity levels because they didn't want there to be a barrier to entry for anybody to use their favorite character. So, oh, if there is, if there are other um, flagship characters, you should expect them to be in, in rarities where you can play them at all, you know, rarity levels. Yeah, the, the whole evergreen concept has been something that uh, Hasbro has been pushing lately. That's why you are you will see Optimus, Megatron, Bumblebee, Starscream, and literally everything. Uh, I yeah. mean, it, it was kind of expected, but they've actually come out and officially said it, that that is the way they operate. Uh, okay. So it, it, that's not surprising. Plus, those are the big characters. If you didn't have them, you know, random little kid that's trying to pick up the game, oh, I want to play an Optimus deck. Well, sorry, you got to shell out a couple hundred bucks to be able to pick up the Optimus that you happen to want if it were to get to that point. Uh, now they have multiple rarities. At least somebody can, you know, live the fantasy, so to speak. Yeah, which is different than other games based on IPs have done, to be honest right. with you. Sometimes, a lot of times, the big characters are flashy and expensive. So Right. Yeah, and it's good that they do have those versions, but at least you have something at the other rarities. So Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about that interview before we moved on to, uh, I guess, the next or last news item? No, I mean, it, it wasn't... It was interesting to me more from a like business perspective I think than anything else I wouldn't say it was huge on like the card game itself news you had to you'd have to pull a lot of it out of it right um, I'm hoping I'm hoping with our next topic there's more to come yep from that from that so I guess that kind of segues into it and for those of you who are unaware very very soon everybody's going to be descending on Philadelphia for PAX Unplugged including now we have official confirmation because everybody was worried that we're going to have True 
Transformers TCG events, official ones. So if you haven't seen it already, it was tweeted out and, again, probably posted in the Facebook groups and everywhere else under the sun by the official Transformers account. Pastimes is going to be running them at the event, and they have a number of different ones. So I'm just going to run through them real quick so that people have an idea what we're talking about. So they do have Learn to Plays, obviously. Those are free. If you do a Learn to Play, you get a $5 off coupon for the Battle League. What's the Battle League? Uh, Scott had alluded to it earlier, but it's 20 bucks, so you get it could be 15 with your $5 coupon. They run all day. Players play whenever they want. So it's basically, you're going to get handed five packs. You build a team, and then you can play people whenever you want. If you win, you get to pull two random cards from a box. If you lose, you get one. Uh, and then you can modify it using the earned prizes, but you can't go over the, the 25 cards, 25 star. Or excuse me, you have to have at least 25 cards. can't go over 25 stars. So it's kind of a, you know... For people that are just picking up the game, I'm hoping that there are going to be promos or something in there. I'm sure it's really just going to be regular cards, but we'll see. Uh, they said there were like coupons for like um, the prize wall stuff. Yes. And... Yeah, prize so, tickets, whatever that, ha- and it says and more, whatever that happens to be. Yeah. So I'm curious. Yeah, like, go ahead. When I was there last year, they, I mean, I was there for Star Wars Destiny, so there was an official prize wall from FFG, but, like, they, the pastimes had it as well, and it was, like, you know, X number of them got you a box of magic cards and things like that, so it right. was it was fine. It was, you know, cool. Oh, yeah, it, I think it's going to be a big hit. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping they have some official playmats or something. I think that would be really cool to give people some... I mean, it's, it's always good to get cards, but it's also cool to have, like, a thing that you can take home to uh, yeah. to show people, oh, well, where'd you get that cool playmat? Oh, well, I was playing Transformers over there, you know, that sort of thing. Um, yep. So beyond that, they're going to be running, it looks like, twice a day, 1 p.m. and 5 p.m., they're going to be running 32-person constructed tournaments. Or you could, it's $20 to play constructed, 35 to get five boosters and a starter deck. Uh, they're best of one, 30-minute rounds. If you go 5-0, and oh, you get an uncut sheet. Now, I asked, didn't get an answer yet. Uh, whether it's an uncut sheet of character cards or battle cards, I'm very it's characters. He, they mentioned it in the Facebook group. Do they? Okay, so that's yeah. that's actually really awesome. Yeah, like that's something I would love to get and frame because that would look really sweet. Um, yeah. One of the more interesting things here, well, we'll, we'll circle back to that because the real quick one is you can also for free between three and five p.m. Obviously, they're not open that early. I. Uh, you can learn or go through the Metroplex experience, which is basically they're going to run through playing with and against Metroplex, which is really cool. But you also get a coupon off for the Battle League doing that. Um, What I wanted to draw attention to for the tournament part is we now have some semi-floor rules, kind of, uh, since there's now a procedure for when you tie or you run out of time in a round. Uh, any thoughts on this one, Scott? Uh, no, because they basically said that, like, this is just the format they were running at this event, and, like, mm-hmm. even Best of One wasn't guaranteed to be the the format that they recommended or is always going to be run, so, like, right. I wouldn't take anything from this at all. Um, people have mentioned before that, like, 
every, like almost everything you're doing now is is um is testing grounds for later. So that's right. the way I would look at it. And that's completely reasonable. I mean, we when we get to it in just a minute, uh, our the event that we just played in this past weekend also was kind of testing the waters as well, just because there there isn't anything official. It's kind of what feels good for this game, what makes sense. Yes, you could always default to best two or three sideboards or X number of cards or, you know, whatever it happens to be. Uh, but it has to make sense for the game in question. So it's good that they're at least trying stuff out, especially in, yes, it's a tournament. Yes, there there's what I would call significant stuff on the line, but it, it's still a reasonable place to get outside data from their internal stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's probably a spacing thing. I mean, the only the only the only negative I would say about the event is the 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 um, the number of people limit and yeah. the fact that they they weren't taking pre registration. So I don't understand like what is it just going to be like a mob scene like yeah to get there in the morning like I don't understand what's what's going to happen. That's going to be a little bit of a concern. Uh, I'm sure it'll end up getting worked out, but yeah, it would be nice. I I wish they had done it the way Magic pre-releases used to be done. I don't know if they still are because I haven't played Magic in years, but, you know, they would do flights throughout the day. Or it would be, yes, there's a cap of X number of people, but as soon as we hit that cap, we start a new one kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it really sounds to me like a space thing, to be honest with you. Like, it sounds sure. to me like, like, I mean, I don't... I didn't talk to anybody, like last year that would have that I would have known to be able to tell me like how like how expensive all I know is that it's expensive to have conventions in Philadelphia um which would which I would imagine means that like the packs people have to pass on like a decent amount of cost to the vendors and things like that I guess but um, based on last year it felt as though there was there was a, a good chunk of space that could have been, you know, they could have had butts and seats kind of thing. Yeah, there was a big, there were like several large, again, I was there for FFG events. There were several large FFG events going on like simultaneously. There was like a 50-person L5R tournament and things like that. So like, right, it felt full in places to me, but like I didn't walk around enough to really yeah. be able to tell. And there was a lot of like board games and things like that going on and like mm -hmm. other events. So I don't know. I, I it was obviously successful, and it was and it's like again, like because I remember, and this is going way back, like in 1995, <laughs> um, Origins was in Philadelphia, and then that was the one and only time it was in Philadelphia because of how much it cost. Oh yeah, uh, to have a convention there, I can only it, imagine. <laughs> yeah, and it's been in Columbus, Ohio, ever since then. So like. The fact that, that a convention would come here two years in a row, and I know that like the convention center was just redone and all this stuff, and and it's a great centralized location, um, but the fact that so the fact that they would come here again after last year just says to me it obviously was successful. Oh, but I am guessing it's just not that cheap. So yeah, I, I guess the pastimes had limited space to to begin with, and that's right. what that's what they had to decide. But I guess the one, the only thing I'll say is like, I, I can't imagine the under 16 crowd filling out the 32 person. So maybe we'll have enough room to run more than one at a time. It's possible. Yeah. I mean, you never know. It, it's entirely possible that that group, because it's, it's, 
I heard this on one of the other Transformers podcasts I listened to, uh, not for the TCG, but there are, if you were 10 years old in 2007, you know, like you went to see the first live action movie, that was your first Transformers experience, uh, yes, they would be aged out of this bracket now, but my point is that there are people growing up with when Transformers was under its resurgence or in its resurgence its golden age I guess because of the movies so I could certainly yeah. see there being a lot of under 16 people that are really big Transformers fans yeah so I mean we'll we'll have to wait and see but I'm definitely excited about it, it sounds like you are too Scott so we'll uh, if, you're, if you're making the trip out here or if you can definitely swing by and uh, transform some cards with us yep so uh, anything else you want to cover about PAX because I Actually, now that I say that, I think there was one thing we almost forgot, or I almost forgot. Uh, there I'll w- be there. What was that? I'll be there. But There was a vague, vague tweet uh, by the official account that alluded to some potential chances for spoilers for Wave 2. So I'm very curious whether we will actually get something, or they were being very coy about there being spoilers at PAX Unplugged. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense... Um... You know, we're, we're, I mean, I don't, again, I, I haven't followed a, a Watsy game closely in a while. I don't really know what their hype train is like on, mm. uh, for how they hype games out at, at events like this, but I would imagine it's a good, good opportunity. Yeah. So those are the, the major salient points, I guess, for the upcoming packs Unplugged, which is coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, and I know I'm excited, like I said. So moving on from there, we wanted to talk a little bit about, well, events that are that just recently happened that both you and I were at. So up on the screen now is a brief screenshot of what was posted in one of the fan groups by Wreck and Rule, who they did have a representative at the event uh, who he collected all the deck lists. So if you are interested in specific lists, uh, he has them. Um, there were a few people, including one of the decks that we're going to talk about, that requested to not release the exact list. So the winning list, the officially first place person, because we didn't do a cut. It was just after five rounds, tiebreakers determined it because we had a number of four and ones. Uh, the person who placed first asked uh, Wreck and Rule not to release all the lists, or his list at least. So we're just kind of going on memory because... Uh, Scott, you did also play against him as well, right? I think I played the same deck, just not the actual player. Oh, okay. No problem. So, uh, yeah, we wanted to talk about these lists. So, as you can see, we had a variety, although there were there definitely was an infestation of bugs. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, any other initial thoughts before we go into... I mean, I'm going to throw the uh the overlay we had from before when we talked about mark's bugs list and mark was one of the people who placed in the top four uh super aggressive insecticon list i overheard a lot of people i guess admitting to themselves that you really want ransack over chop shop um (laughs) any other thoughts you wanted to add about insecticons before we dive into one of the other decks um, it's the same exact, same things I said about last week. I mean, it's an easy deck to build and a relatively easy deck to play and you have mm-hmm. to be prepared for it. So if people just 
like I didn't understand how uh how powerful it was, you know, like uh I, I think they would have lost to it. So yeah. that's probably what happened. Yeah. I think a lot of people's eyes were opened to the power of it because it's very easy to to look at it, I think, on paper for a lot of decks and identify things such as, oh, well, Insecticons have low health. I'll just one-shot them every time. But if you don't actually sit and figure out the math for your own deck versus how their deck is operating, you may not get that opportunity or it just may not come out that way. Um, So they... I don't really have a whole lot else to add. We did, did just do our previous episode on Insecticons, but yeah, they showed up in force, which is kind of what I expected. Is that what you thought going in, that this was going to be running rampant? Um, I guess. I mean, like, uh, I didn't think that multiple... I didn't know that, like, two guys from the Wreck and Rule crowd would run it. Um, but I, I mean, I brought one of the decks with me that somebody ran and I knew Mark was going to be running it. So like, I knew there was at least two people there that were going to be running it. Right. Um, so I mean, of the players I knew that were going, I guess the other two, I just didn't expect to run it. So like just, there was only one other random one from there. So I guess it doesn't surprise me that much. Okay. Um, I, I mean, it is what it is. I don't, it doesn't, yeah, there's only, I mean, I knew four of the five people running it, so it doesn't surprise me, I guess. Makes sense. Uh, Was there anything else that stood out to you that didn't end up doing well that you were curious about from what we saw? I was actually surprised. So I expected a lot of Insecticons. I was surprised there were not more Dinobots, and I was surprised that there were so many rare primes showing up. Um, I I guess. uh, I mean... Like I and we can talk. We'll, we'll obviously talk about this, but I would mm-hmm. I would say that like like the rare prime decks represent one apex. I would say the rare prime or nemesis based decks represent the more controlling aspect of the game. That that the insecticons represent the more aggressive uh, part of the game. So like if you were telling me from scratch, I wouldn't be surprised that like those two poles uh, would be represented. And I think everything else. Um, kind of falls in the middle uh i'm one of the like i'm one of the car players that's in the wheeljack prowl super rare bumblebee camp that played there um and i mean i could talk about that we weren't slated to but like you know i don't know how well positioned that is just because i ran into more defensive decks during the day and it wasn't positioned as well because of that right um and had issues I think the Dinobot decks in their old incarnation, as I mentioned last time, are not well positioned to handle the aggressive pole. They, they, the old aggressive Dinobots would be pretty well positioned, in my opinion, to, t- to handle the more controlling decks. Right. Um, but they would probably wind up with a medium-sized record because of facing because of both of these things being represented. Right. Um, and I think I think they're I think them like I think I think anything that isn't one of those two poles, frankly, requires more play skill. So like um, maybe people for the prizes that were being offered or, or the the first event that they were going to were just probably didn't feel as comfortable playing things that were more 
depending on like how to draw your way out of situations if your hands aren't good and things like that. Like, right. So I can understand why. Yeah, that did come up. I forget who I was speaking with or if I overheard it. Uh, the weekend became kind of a blur because I had a very long day of work immediately following it. <laughs> uh, but any game, new format, the aggro deck dominates. It, it's just the way it is. It's, they're generally easier to construct in general, easier to pilot on the whole. Not Obviously, I'm not saying there's no play skill in piloting an aggressive deck, but those are more readily identifiable. It's much more difficult to identify, okay, well, I can skimp here, I can skate there. Like you are saying with some of these mid-range things, it's easier to go to one of the poles and just go, well, I'm going to go all in orange or I'm going to go all in blue and then play it from there. So... Yeah. I'm not too surprised. Uh, like I said, I was surprised at the number of primes. I honestly was semi-expecting more bugs to some extent. But uh, I guess from here, do you want to dive into the two tall prime list? Uh, we can talk about that. I mean, we can just I would we can just talk about prime list in general. Sure. Different like. What I like, I mean, because they don't play out that much differently, like right. one version versus another. I mean, I guess there's some distinct card choices that may come up, mm. um, but I think like the Nemesis version is probably the most. I mean, you can certainly build it to be the most controlling of any of them because of just how they play out. I would say right. So just to to preface it before I hand it back to Scott to explain how these decks sort of work. The deck that, as we said, finished first place was running Rare Optimus and Super Rare Nemesis. Not that there's a different option, but uh, right. it was also running virtually all blue cards. Uh, there were some no-pip cards. I'm fairly certain there were literally zero orange pips across any of the cards in his deck. Uh, I didn't see all of the other Rare Optimuses. Optimize? I, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but I'm anticipating that they were very similar, like you said, that it, it seems to be, if you don't want to play all oranges, you play all blues, and if you're playing all blues, having these guys who have a very high base attack just logically makes sense. Uh, is that where you're thinking people are going with it, or how do you see this deck playing out? Yeah, this deck and other ones like it, this is where I where I saw them play out. I mean, when I lost this, um, I specifically lost to certain cards that they had in the deck that were very powerful against, you know, certain hands that I had at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I think what... So they all... All the Optimus decks, obviously, work off the strength of Optimus. Um, of course. To me, it's he's like hands down the best card in the game. Right, like pound for pound, I think he's the best. Um, he just does so much for you, and he cheats in so many ways. It's incredible. So the way he, the ways he cheats, and I was thinking about this earlier today when I knew we were going to be talking about it, it. It's actually in in subtle ways that I think are really powerful for uh, for the game. So, how so the fact that so the fact that the game is you know played normally with the one action and one upgrade per turn, um, to me, lends itself where if your action is simply drawing cards um, or, 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 or not doing 
and I'm not going to throw, I don't need to throw numbers out there, but like if you're not doing enough with your, with your action card, for example, um, you have to be doing something that has an effect on the board. Right. And what Optimus allows you to do is play with a bunch of actions that actually don't have as much of an effect on the board, like something like disruptive entrance or playing a security checkpoint out of your hand. Like these are things that don't necessarily, I mean, to me, disruptive entrance, I, I don't think you, you can play that in a normal deck. Right. That isn't like a shockwave to take advantage of the damage or isn't a prime that can get that second action per turn because even if you do get a card out of it, which you may not get, um, it's that's not impactful enough because right. your opponent could just draw a card on their turn and, and play it. Like so, you're 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 not even one hundred percent to hit, and you're not one hundred percent to hit something that's relevant. Right. Um. So, but the fact that he allows you to essentially play two actions a turn, um, and in the all blue versions, unless you flip a leap into battle or uh, the bigger they are. Um, there isn't even a combat or a plasma burst, I guess, or various other direct damage that they could run uh, for no pips. There isn't even a whole lot you you even that's going to help you during the combat itself. So playing something like yeah, flipping supercharge doesn't really yeah. help you, right? So playing something like um, an inspiring leadership off of the prime or as your first action. In, in, in either one of the times that you can play an action card has more value because you're not it's not your only action card you're going to play for the turn so if you you know again like outside of the brainstorm scenarios like you're not going to I don't think you can do like playing inspiring leadership as your only action for the turn in a what ultimately amounts to a low upgrade base deck as well like I'm fine with playing it if you're playing like almost a 50-50 deck because that way you're drawing three cards, you're pitching two cards. I still have my other... Yeah, you can dig for Energon right. You know, whatever right. you happen to need. Right, but like when you're... when These decks, because they're two... Like this version especially, because it was a two-character deck, was pretty low on the upgrades as well. Like I know I saw Reinforced Plating and I know I saw Ener um, Power Sword, but I don't think they were running more than two of, two of both of them. Yeah, I, and when I played against it, I don't even think I saw... A weapon. I mean, I'm sure I, I saw it at one point, but like I said, the whole weekend kind of blurred. So um, yeah, and they had force fields too. But I mean, it was to me, it's no more than like eight or nine upgrades in the whole deck, right? So to play something like inspiring leadership or something like that that would purely be setting you up for future turns, um, you know, or something like you know, I've seen Optimus decks run like you know treasure hunt and things like that. Um, it's just it, you get much more effective turns when you're essentially able to play more than one action in a turn. Right. And to me, that's the subtle, um, I guess you would say like, you know, powerfulness or brokenness or OPness of Optimus is that like, you can play these cards in your deck that, that are only helping you in the future, mostly card draw type actions or sifting type actions. Right. Because it's not costing you your one action for the turn. Like, right. If, if you, if you stood, if you, if you, like if you put I still function next to leap into battle next to disruptive entrance, like there's <laughs> no doubt like that, you know, one is clearly inferior to the other two. Oh yeah. In terms of immediate effect on the board. But like the fact that you can play one 
you could play both of them, you know, in a turn really ups the power level of something like that, you know, when, when it doesn't have that opportunity cost of costing your action for the turn. Absolutely. I mean, the, the obvious thing I think most people will jump to is if you were to compare it to, say, Magic, any time that you can play more than one land per turn, you know, most a lot of those effects will generate multiple mana for less investment. So your Dark Rituals, your Seething Songs, your things like that. People have realized, hey, those things are powerful effects because it lets you jump the resource curve, even temporarily. So obviously, I'm sure most people, when they saw Optimus, said, well, that's the same thing. But I think you bring up a good point that it's not just sheer volume of additional things. It's also opening up your opportunities and your options to these cards. And I think you're right. From my test, yes, I, I personally love Inspiring Leadership. But it's because of the decks that I've been playing. So for a while, I was working on a bunch of Jetfire stuff. So, mm-hmm. well, now I have an extra use. Or when I was hell-bent on making tanks work, <laughs> you know, it, I could, okay, well, dump a bunch of stuff and next turn, hunker down a bunch of things back. Uh, Optimus is a much more optimal play for allowing you to utilize more of the card pool. Um, as it pertains to this specific deck, I don't have any hard and fast rules yet, but they're starting to formulate in the back of my head as far as in order to play certain strategies, so all blues or heavy blue, you need X amount of base attack or you need to be hitting for X amount of attack a turn and obviously having a higher base allows you to get there. Uh, I could see other strategies or other decks trying to take this strategy but do you think that right now would you say that too tall prime like this or whatever people call I forget what the, the name somebody had for it. Um, Power of the Prime is what I call it. That, that's it. Okay. So <laughs> do you feel that that is the most appropriate way to handle that sort of strategy right now? I think there's only three ways to play prime right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, if you want to take full advantage of the 25 stars, I guess there's other decks you could build that wouldn't, and I'm not really sure how efficient they would be. Right. Right. Um, like I've seen like prime shock wave and things like that, that I don't really know that have a lot of synergy other than like guys that have big defense type of thing. Well, that one particularly um, you can, you have more chances at system rebooting. Yeah. That, that's, sure. I think that's the main reason. I and don't transforming know. and things like that. Yeah, I don't know if that's like a good idea, but it, it's <laughs> it's an idea. Yeah. Um, so you can play it as Power of the Prime as Nemesis Prime. Um, and I think what you the advantage you gain there is um, with the extra cards you're flipping from Optimus, I mean, it's not as obviously as efficient as like Nemesis decks that are focused on Nemesis to get cards into the um, scrap pile, but right. like it's it's just because you're able to draw the game out. Like, chances are the Nemesis will get the ten attack power, and then you basically have two giant attackers. Yeah, ten is um, good enough. I know people want to cycle the deck a lot, but ten is pretty good. Well, 10 is the number you want to hit with Prime in his first attack also. Um, right. 10 or 11 um, being ideal. So 
having a base 10 attack over time also helps. He's obviously a huge meat shield. Um, the biggest one in the, well, I guess the second or third, depending on whether you're including Metroplex and obviously with Cosmos. Right, right. Um, in the game, but this is like providing a real attacking body as opposed to Cosmos. Right. Um, so he can soak a lot of hits. Um, you know, I've seen sometimes they leave with Nemesis because he's obviously not going to die on the on the return attack, even though it's really hard to kill Optimus in one shot also. Um, his flip is not insignificant. I mean, it is two damage, and you probably have time to get to it, unless you're, um, you know, flipping time to get certain actions back. Right. Um, you know, they both... Nemesis has, I think, a permanent two defense in both modes, and Prime yeah. has the three defense in exactly. the truck mode. Um, they're both trucks, so they, I know they ran team-up tactics, and luckily they did not run cargo trailer, because it's terrible. Yeah. So <laughs> there's that. Um, so um, I think the Nemesis is fine. I, I don't know. I mean, he went undefeated and probably beat at least... I know he beat at least one in Psychocondac, so I would imagine yeah. that those... Well, he that went, would have been a weak... Weakness, so the one that finished first actually went four one. The only reason I know oh, that for sure. Tiebreakers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the only reason I know is because I managed to squeak it out against him uh, in a very mm. close match, and he did indicate okay. that against Insecticons, he not that he got lucky, but it sounded as though it was much more of a struggle uh, because uh, it sounded as though he was testing a lot against the Chop Shop version. Uh, naturally, ransack pressures a lot more so it's that well, like i know that. in one of the games mm. he did exactly what he needed to do which was go first attack with prime get the 10 power through or 10 or 11 through leap into battle or bigger they are or plasmaverse or one shot stay one shot fall kill kick back in one shot well then i mean that the game almost ends right there. Yeah, when you lose such a potent attacker like immediately. Yeah, unless you're um, you're banking I still function off the initial hand. You're you're in a bad right. spot. Um, but then again, we're at the situation where like they have disruptive entrance and things like that. Like so, you can have a really powerful and 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 that that has a lot more value in that situation. So. It, absolutely, I think that so, that deck is know. positioned decently um, because you have these characters that can soak a lot of hits. You can you should be one shotting things left and right. Um, I. I would have to play it more. I have not only played against it in that one best two of three match. I haven't played as the prime deck. So I I have concerns. For example, you're only running two guys. Yes, you're running a lot of blues, but they're going to get to swing down with their entire team on not as many targets. Uh, I don't know if them being able to just tee off on you like that is a problem, given that you can theoretically just one-shot them back every turn. I I would expect it would favor the Prime's build, but I'm not sure. It comes down to whether or not you draw armor. Draw what? Uh, armor. That adds tough. Like, yeah. the most important card. Oh, yeah. The matchups. That, by far. hitting a reinforced plating probably, I don't want to say it locks them out, but, I mean, that's pretty close to a soft lock when you're essentially flipping four blues a turn, for the most part. Between that, and I've seen versions that run body armor and a few other and that's right. even, that can be even more powerful. So, yeah. Notably, um, this Prime flips between melee and range in his two versions, so you can get those extra, those oddball, either power sword or body armor onto him, and then have it stick. 
So yeah, one thing I also that, think there's room to run the Optimus Prime Blast, right? So, um, good. I mean, it's definitely. I mean, that's one version of it. I've seen versions with uh, Flame War and usually Scrapnel as the third. Yeah. Um, that's more of a like new missions based deck with like you know getting the tough from Flame War helps out with the blue side. Absolutely. And, Trapple's just annoying as usual. Yep. Um, that may not be as powerful anymore just because of how ubiquitous Shrapnel is in the meta and the shift to direct damage that people seem to have listened to uh, through our conversations. Uh, so it's not as good. And then the other one, only other versions I've heard of are like car base. So you can flip like, you know, um, start your engines with Optimus and then, you know, get a guy to untap and just basically get more attacks. Okay. There's a version of that that I've built. Um, I don't know how they, again, I don't know how good it is comparatively. Right. I mean, it's just, they're just different. So, um, sh- uh, shout out to chat because we have, uh, I think our tournament winner in there. Uh, it, it, it's on a bit of the delay, so you won't be able to tell us if it's him, but he, person chats indicating they beat two insecticons on the way because basically they can't get through flips uh they can't hurt you because they can't flip everything and that both top four insecticons lost to two tall primes yeah it's still a small sample set but oh yeah and that there were a number of discussions based on some oddities in the list about the fact that it's yeah we're it was a five-round event. Yes, it was best two at three, but we're talking about five rounds, 20 people total. There's not a whole lot of data to pull from that. Uh, I mean, a lot of it comes down to who goes first, two out of three games or the single game. Hmm. Um, uh, there's um, how oh, much direct damage they're running. Yeah, how much direct damage they're running. I think the big thing there is like, you know, Tacticon's running a lot of getting it like before right like that's a situation where like they actually like all out attack actually is very relevant oh the yeah armors at the the armor is obviously relevant like insecticon players don't run ramming speed and i think they probably un, you know need to go would need to go back to running it again if they're mm. not right and like hold it for these situations so like there's definitely ways to to like i think for the more aggressive decks to to adapt just as easily as there is on both sides. Right. Well, um, it's in now that there's so. it, there is some data out there. And shout out to Craig. We appreciate the uh, the information. It is him in chat. It's awesome having you here. Uh, he's saying that he beat Mark and Frenchie on the way. So um, yeah, he beat a forty six card deck. Well, <laughs> that's what I was referring to with the um, <laughs> the oddities and the small sample size and that. But anyway, with not a, too too much of a digression. Um, now I forgot what I was saying. Uh, no, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, don't get me wrong. I think it's really, it's a powerful deck. And I think, mm. I think for the reasons that I, I said earlier, like, I mean, the fact that you can run what I would consider to be weaker cards mm-hmm. and get them off in powerful situations because you're mm-hmm. putting your opponent in a situation where like you are buying time, like you right. are buying, like if you get a reinforced plate in the stick, you're, you're buying yourself many, many turns oh, and that yeah. allows cards like disruptive entrance or security checkpoint, like pinpoint discard to uh i don't think to people, have much more play it, this kind of harkens back to one of our earlier points but about aggro being the obvious thing 
but I think tough in general because I know there were a lot of people who were very, very frustrated with Flame War by the end of the event, <laughs> uh, <laughs> seeing it on the other side. So I think tough in general, but especially reinforced plating, puts in way more work than people were expecting, and it definitely was showcased in this particular build. Um, it it just does so much heavy lifting, and like you said, it buys you multiple turns to set things up, such as, and this was something I wanted to get your opinions on, the brainstorm blowout turns, I guess. Uh, now, when I was running Prime, it was not uh, Prime Nemesis. I had tried a, a wildly different version of Prime a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, uh, with Flame War and Barrage. Um, I don't think that list was very good. I don't think it would be what I built today. But I was not including Brainstorm at the time. Do you like that in this list? Probably not as a three of. Um, I understand why you run it. I think you definitely run it if you have card draw on your deck because you mm -hmm. can have a glutted hand and and basically flipping it to prime gives you an out to play right. additional cards. I like it a lot better if you're running direct damage. Um, I'd probably have to run at least like four to five uh, direct damage cards because again, like... I think you can get away with it in this because of prime for all the reasons we were talking about. Yeah, I mean, I would run more than this, more than just the standard three plasma verse. Like, I'd probably run some number of one shall stand, one shall fall, um, which you is obviously 16. a lot easier. To, I mean, to you got in. thirty health across the two guys. You got a, some room to play with. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, the only I, I don't know. I mean, if 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 the combat adders get stuck in your hand as opposed to being by prime, then obviously like brainstorms no downside for you, right? Um, you just even if you only play one card, it's no different than basically just playing an action from your hand during the combat phase, right? Um, I think that that's a good so, way of looking at it. Um, yeah, I, and there's there's not a lot of downside playing it. Mm -hmm. I just don't know that like I I wouldn't necessarily like need to run all three of them. Right. Um, but but there may not be anything that's necessarily better. And that, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, is that without knowing the exact 40 cards, it's tough to say, because maybe there were only two brainstorms, maybe there was three, or if there were only two of this other thing, maybe you shave a brainstorm to include the third copy. Without knowing it exactly, it's tough to tell. Um, but it's definitely an interesting list. Like I said, I was kind of surprised to see it, because uh, I knew it was a thing. There been, people have been trying this, and you, you see it pop up occasionally. Um, but it was piloted well. It obviously performed really well. I think people should expect to see this combination going forward. Would you agree? Yeah, I hadn't seen versions that were this defensive. I will say that. Mm. Um, I mean, usually they had like your typical um, incoming transmission some number of body armors, usually treasure hunt, usually like supercharge, like like a, a smattering of red. I mean, I'm orange, like mm -hmm. even if it's like, you know, six to nine cards, but I think the fact that this was, as far as I can tell, completely blue or and with a little bit of white, right, um, really helped the situation and didn't, I mean, and then at the least didn't hurt at all. And I really, mm -hmm. like I said, to, for me, I mean, I personally, when I, lost to disruptive entrance so i mean like i know that i lost to a blue card i wasn't expecting to see right um yeah I'd be uh, obviously they had some blanks too but i mean well 
Yeah, I'd be curious. Again, this is a my own ignorance of the list. Um, for example, why rollouts weren't included, Craig? I know you're in chat. I don't know if you're still listening to us. I'd be very curious, and you don't have to tell us if you don't want to. Uh, why you decided to not include rollouts or even Matrix simply because it does I satisfy. I mean, Matrix is tough to justify here, but if you're going with, well, I want blues, um, it gives you a blue and occasionally an orange. I'm just, again, it, it's not knowing what the whole list is. Is it? Is there room to play around with? So I, I guess wouldn't I'm, run roll out personally. I don't think it matters that much. You don't think so? I mean, you could... I'm, and maybe it's just me because we'll we'll get to it when we talk about the list I ran. But when you get terms of okay, you have both face up, you roll out, deal two to something, recur something relevant, flip back prime, optimist, swing in, play another ability. That feels like it's a pretty strong turn. Yeah, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's like necessary per se. I don't know if it's absolutely necessary. Um, Oh, uh, he's saying that rollout is in over rapid conversion right now, which I could see. I guess, again, it's, it's, it's going to come down to, you know, what the turns you're going to set up. So that's pretty cool. So hot off the presses, the, the super secret tech, Craig, letting us know, live stream, you heard it here first. Although by the time everybody listens to this, it probably, it'll be next week. So um, anyway, so is there anything I else? I don't think you okay. always, I don't think you can always afford give yourself a two power hit when you're attacking with class. Right. To flip back into a and because it because it's like uh you don't have a choice at that point as to who you're transforming. Both your guys have to transform. Like it's just not a situation mm. that I well, always want to use it in. I, I agree. It's not an I draw it, I slam it, but I think given reinforced armor, potentially body armor, stuff like that, and just general blueness of the deck, you will live long enough if you draw it to find a turn where it's useful and still be yeah. able to transform. Um, I think it's worth it a look anyway. Um, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. So would, anything else you want to throw out on this one? No, I mean, these decks just represent, you know, the complete opposite of what we talked about last with aggression. Uh, this is definitely the more controlling. These are the controlling decks in the environment. Um, they... They can be tough to beat for certain mid-range strategies. Um, I would imagine, you know, like you said, cars is... They put out a medium amount of damage, and as a result, it's very easy for this sort of deck to just soak it all. So their weakness... The weakness of these decks is obviously in burst. Um, right. Especially so early like, on, before they can get set up. Yeah, so you're... Your attack with my dude, grenade launcher, leap into battle um, turns are where they're going to be weak. Um, they can't be one-shotted, so you need multiple turns of where you're, where you're adding or that you're sticking like a, a more permanent weapon, like an Energon Axe, and you're getting multiple. Like, like, a, like a, a Cars-type build or a Dinobot-type build has to stick a weapon. Yeah. Um, that has like permanent attack that isn't like bolt based, like an Energon Axe or like a Ironhide Blaster, or even something like Primary Laser. Yeah. Um, has to stay in play and has to attack multiple times because once they get the tough armor down, it, it really doesn't matter like what you are attacking with. They're getting that bonus every single turn. So unless they right. flip poorly, which is rare 
um, given the lower number of, of non-blues in the deck. Mm-hmm. Um, you basically just need to... You, you have to have those burst turns back. And I think, like... That's why I think some of the mid-range decks that run pips on both sides need to be looking for... I, I don't think that... I think you have Insecticons on the one side that run the all... I think you have the, these types of decks on this side that run the all-blue strategy. And I think anything else can't just change the bots and it play out the same way. Right. And I think that's where, again, like I said last week with the orange, you know, porting Dinobots into the Insecticon list and changing some cards doesn't work. I don't think changing these bots into something else and keeping the all blue shell works either because, you know, for there were, I mean, there were other decks that were doing that, but even they, like, I know even you ran the burst yeah. package. Yes. Um, and there was another deck that was there that ran, that I lost to that ran like Bombshell, Flame War, and Nemesis. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't as effective because you didn't have that huge eight attacker off the bat. Right. It could be easily become a 10 or 11 off the ability. So, exactly. like, it was almost too defensive, in my opinion. Like, I think you can actually. That deck to me represented actually more to the left on the defensive end. Right. But I don't think it was correct. Like this to me is the more the better way to run a true control deck. Cause like you said, you have one guy starting out with seven in attack and one guy starting out with eight. And that's like having like, you know, in other games, you have to quote as a control deck, you have to like draw into your finisher. Your finisher starts the the game in this game. Yeah. And he can immediately attack for eleven off of mm. turn one. I mean, like Yeah. I know it doesn't it's not going to play out like an aggro deck, but that's pretty aggressive. You can do 11. Oh, 100%. And that's kind of where I was going with earlier, Where, and it may have been a function of trying to make tanks work for so long. The biggest issue with that that I found was they they were very happy to sit there and try and soak hits, but you don't win the game by not taking damage. You win the game by doing damage. So at some point, you need to go on the offensive. So these two characters represent... So much essentially guaranteed damage due to their base stats that they can justify running all blues. I think you're absolutely right. It's going to be very difficult for other lists to try and do it because I know I also tried it with planes. Let's go heavy defense and then see if I can direct damage them down. But you need the combat step damage to supplement things. Whereas here it's combat step damage supplemented by direct damage or by combat buffs, or by, you know, whatever. And they, they just give you certain advantages that I don't think you're going to find with other team compositions. Yeah. At least not right now. Obviously, you know, down the line, maybe something else will come out. But right now, it's... I think Craig identified a good combination and definitely leaned into a strategy that is probably positioned pretty well right now. Um, I mean, what I like about it is, is that the direct damage, um, in at least a minimum of plasma burst, allows you to make up for if you don't have if your opponent somehow like doesn't just die in one hit, you still have the advantage. You still right. have the ability to to kill them outside of combat. So you don't you you're you essentially did kill them in one hit. Like you removed the defender, you removed the character, like in the end anyway. So right, that's where I think having and and also. Having a 16 health character and a 14 health character will make up for 
like any missteps that you may have. Oh yeah, you, you can definitely you get a little bit extra slack on that front. Uh, yeah. So I guess the the one last question I'd have for you over this: Does this change your mind about Pierce? <laughs> no, not at all. Does <laughs> uh, that, that? I believe, and I honestly believe that may be a lot of people's first reaction is, "Oh well, I'll just I'll run more Pierce cards because then I can get the guaranteed damage through." The issue is, is that okay? Well, now they. If you look at it this way, they this list essentially has permanent force fields in play and if your opponent got to play a free force field every turn because of the way your pierce is interacting you're not coming out all that ahead they're still just you know crushing you back with getting to cheat the game with optimus or hitting you for for 15 with nemesis or you know whatever the case may be um i mean like it makes the bigger they are better i guess if yeah. you want to say the Pierce 4 are relevant, but it's still... The plus 2 attack is still going to help you more, than I think, than... I mean... Anything. I, like, I think... I, I will say the Pierce 4, on the bigger they are, may be more relevant in these types of decks because you can be in a situation... Again, this is the way the mid... This is the way I feel like the mid-range would need to change their game. Like, say you have a turn with some five or six attack guy and you go, okay, this turn I'm going to go grenade launcher, leap into battle, attack you for 13, you soak six, take seven, you know, and you had hit them with some other direct damage and they're down to four. Well, now the bigger they are, kill. Because of the guaranteed pierce. So, like, that card to me goes up in value because of its pierce, but not, I'm not going to, Piercing blaster, yeah, yeah. Well, I think the big, I think the bigger they are mm. as a as a universal combat um, card, in addition to leap into battle, I think sees more uh, relevant play if deck if this deck um, remains popular because um, it has uses on. It, it's not that much worse then leap into battle like right. against like a deck that w- it wouldn't matter on and it, it would really matter in a situation where in this type of situation so um, do you see yourself potentially cutting leaps in favor of the bigger they are assuming that you know you're not running this sort of list so if you're running some sort of mid-rangey thing are you gonna so mid-rangey i mean you're running six to eight star characters nine something in that range where Yes, you will be bigger than Insecticon star-wise, but you're definitely going to be smaller than this. So do you cut leaps? Because like you said, they're not... Against Insecticons, the difference between 2 and 3 probably doesn't matter, but it does matter here. Uh, I'd probably just find a way to run both. I, I don't know that I would... And that's fair, too. <laughs> um, I mean, my agricultural lists nowadays run both. Um. And if you if you force me to play one over the other, I would probably lean more in the leap category, just because of a deck like this is still only going to represent like ten percent of the field, whereas the decks where I'm going to want the extra plus one is going to represent not the other ninety percent, but certainly more than the ten percent. So like, I, if if you force me to make a decision, I would probably still lean on the side of leap. But I mean, I think the that I was initially running both of them just to get an extra combat adder, and now I can see that there's actually like a reason for it 
with the Pierce four. That's fair. And the plus and the Pierce two from Energon Axe could give you Pierce six altogether. Oh yeah, and that changes things in a hurry. Yeah. So, uh, any other thoughts you wanted to share on the? Uh, I'm sure we'll we'll be talking about this deck in the future because, like I said, it I can't imagine that all of a sudden nobody's ever going to play Rare Prime and Nemesis together. Uh, so, anything? Any other closing thoughts on this one? Um, if given an option, you should attack Optimus immediately. Like I, I don't, I've seen, and when I played against it, most of the the the. I mean, they attack with Nemesis first to avoid that situation if they were going. Right, right. Um, but, I mean, I have a rule where if my opponent's playing Rare Prime, I'm always dying first regardless. Oh. Um, because <laughs> I think that's a good rule. <laughs> yeah, he's obviously, like, he's always he's always the most powerful character in play regardless. Right. Uh, but, I mean, even in this where it seems like you want to kill Nemesis before he, quote, gets online, I still think that... The Optimus flipping over cards, especially once you add in weapons, represents more damage, even if he only has 8 plus X, than a guaranteed 10 coming from Nemesis. Because it's similar to, like, why... It's similar to damage. Like, if I... The reason why I prefer direct damage over combat adders most of the time is because you can spread the damage to other targets. Like exactly. Nemesis getting to 13 is not much different than him getting to 7, starting at 7, if your opponent only has 5 hit points. Right. You're, like, so, you know, who hmm. cares? So Look at it this but, way, for people that may not be following what, what Scott's describing, pretend Optimus is Grimlock. That, that's right. essentially what happens. Because, oh, I flipped over One Shell Standard, I flipped over Plasma Burst. Okay, well, I'll crush that guy and then pop that guy too. Whereas, right. like you said, Nemesis, if your opponent has a guy that's big enough to soak the first hit and survive, the second one is probably killing them whether he has 7 attack or he has 25. Like it, He's probably getting there. Right. So, there, there's no... Force them into waste. That's actually one of the ways you attack the deck. Force them into overkilling a specific character and wasting additional resources so that you can turn around and pile on one of them. Yeah, and the Altos just represents more, like I said, the the um the consistency of the deck and the more steady advantage that you start to build discard card draw or through like just being able to do more in your turn than like I attack with a giant guy. Like every almost every deck can attack with a giant guy, like whether it's Nemesis or whether it's Right, you know, Wheeljack. Whether it's like, yeah, I, I mean, Grimlock's not the same because of his trample ability, but like almost every deck has. I attack with a giant guy. Right. Um. No, it, it's it's you want to find decks that are, I can, kill more than one guy in a turn. That's where. Yep. That's where I think like, that's where you need to find how to build decks more efficiently. That's what I see other people build other decks that are just like based on cliff jumper and I draw more cards and things just it's not as efficient as like where what you're actually doing in a turn mm-hmm. in this game is trying to get more attacks yeah. or more efficient attacks well it's a, there is a different mindset for this game as compared to others the, the card advantage argument while I think it's still important it's not as important as it is in a lot of other games due to the way the games play out 
Um, and that's part of it is, like you said, the goal is to try and score those extra KOs in rapid succession, not necessarily do, I guess, the normal things that you would want to do in a card game. It's an action advantage economy. Like exactly. You're trying to get more action than your opponent. And, like, I don't mean action cards. Like, we talked about this before. But, yeah. like, and, I mean, Prime says on the card, like, you have to miss terribly to, like, <laughs> not, yeah. like, especially once you have Power Sword down or once you have enough whites in your deck. You have to, you have to miss terribly to, like, not just basically get to play an extra action card every single turn. So, yep. I mean, it's written on the card, so, yeah. you know. Absolutely. So, uh, I guess from there we can move on to the deck I actually played, which, speak of the devil, was also running Nemesis. Um, yep. Now, I do have a deck list for this one. Obviously, I was piloting it, so I knew what I was running. Uh, but it's also up in... <laughs> That's good. What was that? That's good. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, I just threw a bunch of cards together. Um, it's also up in the Facebook group. Uh, Scott, I don't know if you're posting these onto VectorSigma.info, but if not, I mean, people could No, always... I can. Okay. Yeah, it's good. Um, if people are interested, definitely reach out to Scott or I uh, if you're looking for other lists. Um, to preface this, I seriously was debating playing this until I literally put everything in the car and while I was driving to the event. I had Dinobots in one deck box, a more traditional one, an aggressive one. Uh, probably more blues than most people are running, but or, or at least were running. Uh, but still an aggressive Dinobot list because I was expecting a lot of Insecticons. And then this monstrosity. Um, I'm still not super confident in the deck list, to be perfectly perfectly honest. Uh, but the entire game plan was really use Flame War as a meat shield. Her tough helps enable Nemesis, but really it's a Thundercracker deck because I was expecting, like I said, a lot of Insecticons. I was expecting probably, or I was thinking there was going to be a bunch of Dinobots, some cars. Thundercracker's Flip lets you direct damage people or virtually all of the bots that people are playing. And yeah, then, there's, always a tar there's always a target. Yeah. So, although, <laughs> it's funny you say that, my first round opponent was Cars, and I forget how it played out, but basically he had a bunch of stuff in the wrong mode, and I couldn't target. What? Because I killed somebody, I couldn't target his entire team at one point. Um, Super Rare Bumblebee is always melee, but yeah. Yeah, well, it, he, I was able to remove him, so it was just okay. Wheeljack and... Uh, and Prowl, and I think Prowl yeah, range. Wheeljack, I think, has to be in Wheeljack has bot mode, though. Yeah, so it, it just ended up being a weird confluence yeah. of factors that yeah. led to that. But for the most part, 99% of the time, you're going to have a way for Thundercracker to get in for essentially free damage, which, as Scott yeah. was outlining earlier, free damage is super important. Now, I didn't lean into the entirely blue strategy it's just mostly blue but there are a few orange pips there's obviously some white pips because i felt that data bank playing at turn one onto nemesis is probably going to get me a lot of cards to help feed and dig for my transform effects or things to actually make flame war and thundercracker do more than have a tickle beam uh because yeah. that is the like we were talking about earlier the biggest issue that i found both with this deck and blue heavy things in general, is if you're not running 
that Optimus Nemesis team or something very similar, sometimes you're just going to, you know, hit the other person with a pool noodle and <laughs> you just do nothing for a turn. And if you brick on an attack, no matter what deck you're playing, it feels super bad and could you could lose the game on the spot. Uh, so a lot of these essentially were concessions to that fact. So Grenade Launcher, I would love to play more blues, but I, I needed the redundancy of more attack buffs, essentially, is what it boiled down to. No, I think it's correct. So it's... I know... <coughs> excuse me. I know there were some people asking how to, to play the deck out. It, it kind of does exactly what you think. Like I said, you run in Flame War first, soak up some attacks. Because of the amount of blues, it was not uncommon for me to actually have her soak three attacks. Um, so you transform her and actually attack with her as opposed to transforming her and then attack Yeah. Nemesis. Okay. Yeah, the... Because of, and that may not be correct, again, both the list and the play pattern, I'm still getting a feel for it, because I had the epiphany literally on the Friday before the event, because I was playing around with a lot of Thundercracker builds in general, because I really wanted to play them, uh, and I said, well, I can never get enough damage, and I said, oh, well, why don't I just play Nemesis, um, and, but it was, okay, well, now I need to try and play test as much as I could literally the night before and then an hour before I left <laughs> which for the record don't do that it's a horrible idea I was so, that was another reason why I only sort of remember a lot of stuff that happened because I was so tired um, but without those the attack buffs and then nemesis to guarantee the attacks I felt I was never pushing enough damage so that's why I was willingly sacrificing flame war Although, because of the way her tough works, or if I ever got a reinforced plating on her, or whatever, if she soaked multiple attacks, that essentially guaranteed that Nemesis was going to be swinging for 10 or 13, because he's probably going to get an Energon Axe at some point during the game. He's, or, you know, I throw whatever on him, and then he's one-shotting things, in addition to odd and end direct damage that I happen to have. Yeah, I just, I don't... If you think that his when he attacked, that he's going to be buffed in some way to actually finish somebody off, I think it's fine. If you feel like your hand isn't going to get there, I'd probably just flip flame war on one and attack with just allow my nemesis flips and thundercracker flips to finish off my targets at that point. Mm -hmm. Because she may be too important to like dangle out there because that tough will will add value over the course of the, of the round. Absolutely. I think that long-term, that may be the correct way to handle it. Like I said, I, I'm not putting out there that this is this is the way you oh, play yeah, yeah, the deck, because yeah. I don't know if it's actually correct. Um, like I said, my focus and the main reason I took those lines was because I was very concerned that I'd actually be able to get there. Uh, and it, but it wasn't uncommon that it it almost played a psychological factor. Like people would tilt because they go, "Well, Flame War ate two attacks. I have to get rid of Flame War again." <laughs> it, right. Even though you know Thundercracker probably would have just died if they had targeted him, even with the tough, because 
and a kickback flips half their deck and then just goes, oh, well, I have a thousand oranges. I guess he's dead. Uh, people got, they tunnel visioned on Flame War. I don't think that will work twice, but <laughs> it was, it did end up working out, for, at least for this specific event. Um, Nemesis was able to even without the flip, so obviously he'll chunk somebody initially, and then if you can get the dream of rollout to flip both him and Thundercracker, you can try and do some stuff. You can one-shell stand somebody with a Thundercracker flip. That's generally like half of a lot of characters' health. They're pretty close. Yeah. Um, so you can, you can get there with incremental damage, setting your opponent up, and then it makes, I think, the decision-making on their side of when to attack and who to attack with much more complicated. Uh, it also, in some of the side games that I was playing against Mark when he was running cars, because you're so blue-heavy, you can, as we were alluding to earlier, turn off certain strategies... So something mid-rangey that's focused on, you know, I'm going to get in a medium packet of damage per turn is going to struggle against this because, you know, you get Flame Wars tough if you have reinforced armor or force field or whatever, plus a gazillion blues, you could very easily reduce all their damage to zero or one a turn. Uh, but it does seem... Yeah. It's bad again. It's really good against those decks. Yeah, but it still seems to, and this was my hesitation between playing this and Dinobots, was it still seems to struggle against Insecticons because they can overcome it just because they have those individually high attack values at any given point. I'm, again, I'm not sure if this is something that will work long term or it just happened to, you know, we played a five round event, so by law of averages, it's going to win some games. I mean, my answer, as usual, would be to run more direct damage. But <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean... That might shore up your problems there. I well, mean. I did consider it. It's, uh, yeah. it. it's just a matter of, okay, is Plasma Burst better than Grenade Launcher? No, I would just run both and find... I'm not really positive like, mm. that you need three treasure hunts, for example. Like, a little bit... I think you yeah. can fit in, like, two more here or there. I'm not positive you need, like, uh, three inspiring leaderships with databank. Like, I mean, you could find room. Right. It was actually, speaking of inspiring leadership, because that uh, jogged my memory, somebody had asked specifically about Brainstorm, which was in the list, but was along with the entire deck in 11th hour change, and it got cut for inspiring leadership, because one of the issues that I had was trying to find... I always wanted to find weapons, basically, is what it came down to. Because I wanted to ensure that I had multiple ways a turn to increase attacks to make sure that Flame War at her you know, pathetic three attack could theoretically do something or guarantee that Thundercracker was pumped enough to get through there. Brainstorm always requires other cards, whereas I could treasure hunt and go find a grenade launcher, and okay, that's too... It felt like it was more consistent that way with digging for it as opposed to me having to sit and wait to draw it. Again, that's another I-don't-know-if-that's-correct sort of thing. No, I mean, it's a good... It's one of my favorite cards. I mean, don't get mm. me wrong. Um, I mean, I, I've, I'm running... In my mid-range decks, I'm running both 
fire membership end. Treasure hunt, like not full playsets of either, but a lot of my decks aren't running full playsets of many cards anymore. Right. Um, which is a different theory I have, but um, I guess that would be like even for if, like in decks like this, that would be the only change I would make. I would, I'm leaning more heavily on running a one ofs and two ofs of like cards that are only good in certain matchups, especially when I'm running things like inspiring leadership and treasure hunt to go get them. Right. And I think that's uh, a, but that would be the only changes I would make. I think that's a, a good general thing that would spawn an entirely different episode, maybe another article. I don't know what you have in the pipeline, but uh, running those silver bullet effects in this game seems to make sense, like it does in some other games, because odd, odds are, yes, you're not going to see that one of, but when you see it in that matchup, it'll, it'll change the face of the game. And otherwise, okay, well, it's just, you know, another orange pip or another blue pip, whatever you happen to need. Uh, did, you, did you have any issue? I guess you wouldn't have any issue. Because Thundercracker and Flame were only have one defense to start with. You never really had an issue rebuffing the entire attack, and then you couldn't play Energon after, right? Like, you were always taking, like, essentially one, yeah. one damage here, right? Like, you know. Well, unfortunately, and that's one of my complaints about Thundercrackers, he does die in a single hit more often than you think. Um, I mean, in this particular list, because of all the blues, yeah, you're probably yeah. not going to. But it's also possible your opponent has Grenade Launcher and One Shell Stand, One Shell Fall, and guess what? Yeah. Thundercracker, bang, goes up in smoke. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was the one that I... So typically my sequence was get him with Flame War, get him with Nemesis try and, you know, ideally I'd have some sort of flip effect to try and both buff and flip Thundercracker. So yeah. that way, get his trigger and get in, hopefully score a kill on that turn with a follow-up kill the next turn due to, you know, other flip shenanigans or direct damage. Um, I don't... That gives you a bunch of draw phases that draw into plating or, or force field, though, to put on him. So. Right. I mean, it, I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard for them to have like grenade launcher, armor removal. They can't have armor removal. Like they'd have to be direct damaging him, like in anticipation of you doing. Right. Yeah, it, it, you, know. you do have time. It's just there's yeah. there that the the wheel turn, I guess, is where things yeah, get complicated. True. So my yeah. one loss was to Mark with the, his Insecticon list, the, the super aggressive one that only had 40 cards. Uh, <laughs> I, I believe he made some changes from, or he said he had some changes. Uh, I don't recall what they were. I think maybe he had changed some of the white pips, maybe an orange one or the other way around. It um, was Datapad and something. Yeah. Included Datapad. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, but it was minor changes, like a couple things here. He didn't, you know, change the whole face of the deck. No. Um, no. So he ended up. I we went two one. I I don't. I have to check my notes to see you know, who went first, second, kind of thing. But um, I'm not super confident about this against those hyper aggressive lists. I managed to squeak it out against Craig with two tall primes. Obviously, I'm running the bigger they are, so I could play that on. Uh, blame war and actually get value out of it because otherwise she's yeah, that seems, never that doing seems anything. Really, seems really good there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that did happen in two different games that I was able to do that very early on. So it 
it obviously made a significant difference. Um, and then I also had the direct damage option with Thundercracker to try and push damage where the blue pips don't matter. Yeah, it's true. Um, I think it, just by sheer luck, this happens to line up okay against that, but across all of my matches, every game was super close. You know, it, it wasn't like I was blowing anybody out, and some of the games that I lost, I got blown out. So I, again, it could be I was playing it wrong, like you said, maybe get in with Optimus first instead of Flame War, or, you know, it sequence other things differently, but I don't know if it, it essentially, I think I said it to you at the event, or I said it to somebody, that it really felt as though I did get pretty fortunate with this particular list. So anybody out there listening, I'm not saying you should <laughs> never play it, but definitely be aware that like you're playing on a razor's edge with this right now, unless I'm doing something totally wrong and by all means, let me know. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean the one thing, I mean, the last thing I'll say about the event in general, I would say about the game in general. Now we played best of three, which I thought was a superior way playing one game yes in a, in a game like this and the reason i feel that way is the three card opening hand size is just extremely restrictive and i feel like without there being a mulligan rule it just it, it allows for some of the variants to be wetted out throughout the event right if you have best of three instead of one game that's really my biggest argument for absolutely um, but to be honest with you i think most i think all my games are all two one games yeah. But nothing was ever nothing was ever a blowout. So I would say from this event, I feel like the game is in a really good place because I didn't experience blowouts on either end um all that often at all. Um I felt like I mean I think I played I definitely played five different lists. Um they all went to two one. They all you know, it, it always forced a different way of playing on me because I didn't draw all the time, and I was playing a deck that like would obviously change depending on how you drew. Right. So, like to me, there was a lot of nail biters because I, you know, all in win or all in lose type of situation. Yeah. Um. But I don't know. I, I felt like the game was in a really good place because all I think by virtue of the were, the structure yeah. of the game. It's going to push games, it, it, like, every game you play, it, it's going to be difficult for the game to not be close, and it's not a, I don't want to say it's a rubber banding mechanic, but just by the way the game plays out, I attack, okay, you get, you have to attack that guy, then I attack down to that guy, you know, it's going to keep it close because some, each player is going to have something exposed that's going to get targeted down. So you're, it's going to be difficult to have someone run away with it where they just, okay, they score two easy kills on like turn two. That seems super unlikely kind of thing. Yeah, but I would say like if I, there were, there were, there were games I played when the game first came out like a month ago. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes, I lost two characters, but my third character had absolutely no damage on them and he die the game so like to me that was a late victory even though i lost two-thirds of my team uh -huh. because just the way i because i manipulated to 
the two guys died were the two guys that were going to die, and you ne- like you couldn't touch the last guy anyway, so it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I feel like that wasn't the case as much anymore, and um, like play skill allowed me to make up for some of the the bad hands and like that, but I, I would say that. The game to me still came down a lot to mistakes that were made on one side or the other um, yes. to make up for some of the variance that there was there. And I still thought it still mattered tremendously uh, in the matches. I like I know mistakes I made cost me and things like that. Um, right. Like I know at least one game I know like a serious mistake cost me. Um, playing to outs, things like that. I think getting used to some of the deck building and things that'll continue to evolve over time. Right. But, um, I, I mean, I, I thought, I think the game's in a good place just based on, like, this, from what, the 20-person event that I played in, um, again, in our area, there was at least two or three people I know of personally that didn't, um, couldn't come for various reasons. So, like, there's an opportunity for other events to pull those people in and have you and right. Um, like I know there's an event coming up uh, in a couple weeks of a similar nature a little further away that I know I'm not able to uh, so because it's the week before PAX so like right. you know you're going to have the same situation again where like there's going to be at least two players I can tell you that aren't able to show up exactly um, so I think it's the, I think the game's in a good place and I think the um, I think the the competitive nature of it and being able to play different lists uh, was also in a good place. I think it's starting to shape up where certain lists are um, the archetypes themselves are 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 out there. It's just that there's the you know, and, and, and this is where I'm kind of at with it right now is that we're only dealing with 40 card lists and not the typical 60 card lists that most games have. Right. So most of the time somebody will say like, oh, that that, that list was 10 cards different than my list that's only 15% of the deck list. Well, in this, 15% is only cards. Right. So, like, if my deck is literally four cards off from yours, it can make a difference. Yes, absolutely. So, I think that's where we're at now is, like, just shoring up lists can make a difference between what seemingly is the similar archetypes. Yeah, I think you're right. And I definitely agree with you. To go back to your earlier point about the status of the game currently, I would I continue to be impressed by minor decisions that ripple butterfly effect, whatever you know, imagery you want to use into larger ones that have such a significant impact on the game, and that game finishes, I'm shuffling up for the next one, or you know, we shake hands and we all get up and Basically, every time I can go, well, the game came down to this decision. Not necessarily, yes, there were times where, okay, well, if I flipped one more or one less card, it would have changed things. But a lot of the time, it is, I chose to play this on this turn, I chose to attack this way or flip that way, and that's what decided the game. Which, I don't know if a lot of people on the outside looking in when we first got the rules, when we first got our few first few spoilers would have bought that. Yeah, I mean, it, I think people are really starting to see, like, I, I'm telling you, like, 
as the game continues, the play skill thing is going to be like to me like at least sixty forty, if not more. Oh yeah, on, uh, on that side, choosing the appropriate. So one of the things that you had mentioned earlier when we we're talking about the uh, the two prime lists, identifying that you need. It seems obvious when you hear it because you had said, well, you need to go all in on damage to make sure that you can overcome their defenses. That sounds really obvious, but it may not be so obvious when you're sitting down across from your opponent and you go, well, what do I do against two primes? Mm -hmm. If you split your damage even for one turn, a couple turns, where you put a grenade launcher on one guy but then leap the other guy the next turn for whatever reason... That's the difference between winning and losing a game as opposed to piling it all in so that you ensure that you're pushing some damage kind of thing. Uh, and that, like you had said, is a player skill thing of identifying this is the appropriate line of play in against this particular matchup. And when you read online where everyone says a bunch of orange decks battling against each other mm -hmm. and you're not used to actually having to do math of like yeah. oh wow my opponent had four defense and i i only did 10 like wow i only did six i usually do nine and yep like that like you know i think that's where you're right like if you if you haven't had that situation and you haven't situation or your local play group is all aggressive decks or something like that like you're going to be in for a rude awakening when you go to an event and like there's people playing tough based decks and there's people exactly. playing blue based decks like Yep. Um, so I, I feel like, I mean, there's no substitute for getting in games. Um, of course. But like, you know, to me, like, start to build some of these decks in your local playgroup. And even if you're not, like, planning on running them, like, you need to run things against them just to understand how to play them. So. Yeah. So let me put you on the spot as we close up. If you were to play... Well, it's Thursday as of this recording. So if you were to play another event on Saturday, would you play cars again? Would you play one of these lists? Would you play something else? Uh, I would play something else. Is this something else something you'll share? Or <laughs> you want to keep that one under wraps? No, I'm working on a Dinobot list that's more aggro control and has like a bunch of like like a bunch of one ofs in the deck. Mm -hmm. Because it's it's gonna it's gonna be like I want to see if it can play out more like it seems like I always have every card I need because of like treasure hunts or inspiring leadership and things like that. And like, you know, I'm able to always get like the one of that I need. Like I ran a one of, I still function in my cars deck and I probably drew it like three times throughout the course of the event. And like, it's not the best in cars. So like, I don't Randomly, mind running as a one of, but I, like it wasn't when I played it, so like... I mean, randomly getting back a wheeljack or something could change the game. Yeah, it, it wasn't that... It, honestly, it a big deal. Like, it's not like it is in Dinobots or in... Well... That's article, like, but... Right. It, it didn't have no... Like, it allowed me, when I drew early, to take a different line of play. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, like, why I lost the game, because it got Disruptive Entrance out of my hand when I took that same line of play, so I didn't have the ability... That that could be a problem <laughs> because it got taken out of my hand. But um, I mean, so but but doing that has allowed me to think about making decks in other ways that are running less copies of certain. They're not just silver bullet cards. They're just it's they're just cards that are only good in certain situations. Whereas like it's a more niche. 
Yeah, like like to me, there were certain there, there like when I was playing against defensive decks, I couldn't always put an energon axe on a guy because they didn't do any damage back to me, for example. Right. Um where it would be worth it. I could put it on a tapped guy, I couldn't put it on a guy that where it was worth it. Um so it was like, well, if I ran two energon axe and one primary laser and I I would have always had a target for it. So there's things like that where I've just noticed through play, like it's not going to change because I think I've done the math, like a card you're going to draw into your hand, play it like, like 46 or 47% of the time. So Uh it's going to be more valuable in your deck than it is in like for its effect in your hand. So like if they're both single blue pips, it, it doesn't matter that much. It doesn't matter at all over 50% of the time. So there's just little things that I've noticed like that. So I would, I would, I would run like I'm working on a Dinobot list. That's more mid rangey agro control, whatever you call it. That's what I'd run if I went to another event this weekend, just because I want the opportunity to try something like that in live play before I take it to some, somewhere like PAX. Right. Right. I have a much shorter answer. I probably play Metroplex because it's coming out tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I, mean, I certainly also, would not run that. Yeah, well, I'm, in all seriousness, I may run it for the um, that next case tournament that's coming up if I can get enough games between now and then uh, with the deck to feel like I I can make those decisions that we referenced earlier because I've seen the graphs, I've read the math, I certainly do not understand how it's calculated by any stretch of the imagination. Um <laughs> But Spoilers. I, well, yeah, but I, I get, you know, the general rule of play equal numbers of things. Uh, but it, it's going to come down to, okay, well, what, because you're going to be so restricted on what you can or can't do, I want to make sure I'm comfortable with, okay, well, how often am I making Metroplex Sophie attack versus six gun? Or do I want six gun first? Do I want slammer first? You know, those sort of things. Um, and there's not a whole lot of time between now and then for me to both find a way to acquire the Metroplex set as well as actually play around with it. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, the only problem I see is that there's definitely going to be situations where if you go second and you look at your opening three hands and your fourth card and there's no height advantage in it, you might as well just go on the game too. So Yeah. Because you're really going to need that card in your on your first turn to like to not be attacked three more times by certain decks. So like, yep. and that's your, that's your most consistent to, yeah. to I mean, happen like right away. Yeah. The getting to that six is important versus uh supercharges five. Um, yeah. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it does matter. <laughs> um, but in any case, yeah, I guess, I guess I like, mm. so supercharge might be okay also, but I would say like, you definitely want that. Like, in your opening hand. Oh, yeah. In, in a lot of matchups, so... Yeah, I wonder if if we'll ever see a mulligan and how much something like this influences it. Because uh, yeah. obviously being able to mulligan for height advantage is a, a huge advantage, uh, as yeah. opposed to just, you know, lucking into it. But um, yeah. if I'm not playing Metroplex, I may end up try that rare Megatron since I finally acquired that on Saturday, completed my set. So um <laughs> just for the for the giggles, because it and in all seriousness, I do want to try that out because tanks, as I said, 
have a similar issue to tie it back to what we were discussing with primes, where primes have a high enough base attack to make up for the fact that you're mostly playing blues. Tanks generally don't. Uh, Megatron has a high enough attack that theoretically you could stall into just powering him up and let him become a high power nemesis prime earlier because you'll you'll be able to get three weapons on him faster than you'll be able to cycle through your deck usually. Maybe not usually, but I, I guess it kind of works out. I don't know. Well, I want to try it. I don't think it's really going to work, but it's, it's with the new cards, and it's fun to play with new toys. You should try flipping and getting grenade launchers every single Well... Landing three weapons on someone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. It's going to be a more effective strategy, in my opinion, than getting three weapons out, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the <laughs> three-weapon dream is exactly that. It's a dream. Uh, but yeah. theoretically, now that you can do... Um, you can hunker down... With the with three and have the rare Megatron or hunker down so that you can because you're obviously never flipping Slammer, Demolisher. Right. You could attack with him, flip over a bunch of cards, get a weapon there, then hunker down Megatron to both get the weapon back and get an armor onto him. Like there there are some sequences that seem like there's something there. Uh, whether it's enough, I don't know yet. It feels like it. The other support tanks just aren't quite good enough, but we'll see. Can't you slammer Dark Mount and Megatron? Uh, Megatron's 13, Dark Mount's 9. So, yeah, that's what you want to do. Does it? Yeah, 25, right? Well, yeah, but is, is Slammer 3 stars or is he 4 stars? Oh, they're 4 stars, my bad. Yeah, you're right. I okay. think he's 3 across the board, but you're right. Though. Yeah, because I was like, wait a minute, you're right. <laughs> That's exactly what you want to do. Deck's still terrible. Deck's still terrible, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Um, but anyway. You could, uh, you could you could Thundercracker your board, I guess. <laughs> there is that option. Yeah. So, I mean, they, that, yeah. Maybe. We'll, we'll have to see. So, uh, go down for value is all I care about. Well, yeah, I mean, go, same thing for Prime. You know, you, you get to cheat those actions. Uh, I wouldn't. It's not the same, but sure. Well, it's not. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's not literally the same, but if you hunker down two armors into play, like, I, I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I can see that value. Um, especially if it's something like, I mean, you're going to be playing the good ones like Force Field. So you're usually pretty happy to put a second force field into play kind of thing. Um, that's, a, that's not a bad idea. We'll have to see. But uh, that I don't want to keep Scott here all night. We're already running a little bit over. So, Scott, where can people find you aside from the obvious of VectorSigma.info? Yeah, um, I have to get an article out soon. I have an idea for that I have to write up over the next day or two. Uh, I've been slow with work and, uh, and class, so... Uh, we made a couple of changes to the website. I, I posted it today, split off the podcast in their own section from the articles, just taking up too much real estate. So website's the same. You'll just find it there. Um, you can like our Facebook group at VectorSigma.info on Facebook, VectorSigmaI on Twitter, or you can hit me up on Facebook, just Scott Landis, or you can hit us up at VectorSigma info at uh, gmail.com. Like I said, I've had conversations with people asking for advice 
on decks or on play there. Um, the article I'm working on now is basically about how you should um, plan your attacks, which a lot of which we've kind of talked about, like right. how to identify who you want to attack, how to identify, you know, if you're worried about who's going to be attacked back or if you should be worrying about, you know, who your target's going to be and things like that. So that's what my next article is about. Awesome. I'm definitely looking forward to that. They've they've been great reads so far, so definitely always excited about more content. Uh, you could check us out, uh, Random's Thoughts. You can see our Twitter up on screen, at RandThoughtPod. We're on Facebook. We're our website, Random's Thoughts. Uh, it's going to be in the uh, show notes. Ah, sorry, I'm getting tired, so that's why I, another reason I wanted to close <laughs> up because um, it's it's been a long, long week. I'm going on. S- I mean, it's only six days in a row so far, but it's going to be several more very, very long work days. So uh, <laughs> my brain is starting to kind of dissolve <laughs> to some extent. I'm forgetting what words are. Uh, but anyway. Yeah, definitely hit us up. Let us know what other content you want to see. Uh, like Scott said, people are reaching out with certain things. So we definitely want to hear more about what people want to hear about, what they want to see, what they want to do. Because we love this game. We love talking about it. We obviously have a laundry list of subjects that we love to talk about. Uh, but speaking of talking about things, real quick note. We won't be talking about things next week due to the holiday. I know we, we kind of alluded to it earlier, but we're going to take a week off. It's Thanksgiving in America, so uh, yeah. We're gonna, I'm, I know I'm watching football, at least to some extent. I'm playing some football. We're all getting kind of old for it, so hopefully this doesn't go poorly. Cool. So uh, I guess with that, thank you everybody for listening, and tune in next time for some more Random Thoughts. Have a good one.